So Phil, I know that you're an Aston Villa fan. So I'll give you a choice right now. We can move with Aston Villa and start by your last game against Liverpool. Or we can talk about product management. What, what would you prefer? I think let's go for product management. I think <laughs> I've I've got a Liverpool fan in my team, and um, he he would love us to talk about Liverpool. But you know, let's go for product management. All right, well, let's start with your career first. Can you tell us more about your journey and how you become interested in product management? Was it an informed decision or just by coincidence? Yeah, I think so. I think like a lot of people of our generation, I fell into product management. So I think that's that's a very common path for a lot of people. There, it didn't really exist, and it's still at barbecues and at dinner parties. If someone says, "What's your job?" or even if you ask my wife, "What does Phil do for a job?" Um, it's indescribable because people don't really understand product management. And because it was such a new concept, what happened was I worked in between the business and technology. So in the old waterfall days, I worked in incident management, service management, ITIL, those kind of worlds. And naturally, you started to have quite an empathy with the business wanting systems to work, with engineers and IT people needing time and space to make it work. And I guess I fell into product management being in that space in between. And I think the only other thing to add would be I really dislike jobs where I did the same thing day in, day out, or every Monday looked the same as every other Monday. Um, and again, product management was this whole world where no week ever looked the same, no roadmap ever looked the same. The minute you've published a roadmap, it's out of date. That fast moving, constantly changing pace was those two things were always part of my job. And then that just naturally led me into product management. Yeah, it's pretty similar for me as well. Uh, I started as a software engineer and then I decided to create my own startup and uh during these startup days, I was talking with potential clients and it turned out, actually, I am doing product management. But at these times, there is not even a definition of product management. Then I realized that this is the product management, like talking with clients, being advocate for them, being a bridge in between business and the engineering. Yeah, it's it, most of the time, it's just by coincidence. But, but let's move with your current position. Right now, you're a head of product and I know that it's really different being a product, head of product and a product manager, which is actually pretty hands-on experience. So what's your take on that? Like what does a head of product do in an e-commerce company? It's, so there's so many ways to answer this. So I'll, I'll, give, yeah. I'll give a few flavors, but feel free to ask me back. So I think one of the key things of a head of product is strategy and vision. And so you're not responsible for any one feature or any one roadmap, but you are responsible for the collective of all those features of all those roadmaps and where you're going. And I think when you talk about like key responsibility or challenge for me, so I, I used to manage teams in that old world that I talked about in Waterfall. Yeah. And you could just tell a team, can you do this? <laughs> uh, can you do this next week or by tomorrow? Can we have this? In a product world where your teams are empowered, where everyone's working autonomously, the head of product role is much more around how do you make sure it's going in the right kind of direction? How do you make sure teams are empowered and autonomous, but going in the right space and going in the right way and not veering off course? And I think, therefore, the head of product role in my world in e-commerce, so much of it is about interfacing with all those different groups, all the other heads of product, yeah. all the product leaders, key stakeholders, to try and orient your teams, try and orient your strategy. 
and in the meantime, you're leading the product managers as well. I mean, their personal development. Yes, le leading product managers, doing the personal development, that's a huge part. Like the coaching side yeah. is a massive yeah. part of the role. And then keeping your hand in when you can. So I do, I'm renowned for doing a Miro board when I can, pulling up a roadmap, doing yeah. an ideation session. I think, one, you don't want to let those skills go rusty, but two, you miss it. I think, I, I don't know yeah. about you, but I find yeah. product leadership, you often miss doing lots of the product work. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Sometimes I'm thinking that if, if something happens and if I become a product manager once again, I need to brush up on a lot of older skills. Right now, it's a completely different experience for me as well, uh, but I'm trying to get used to it too. So, but yeah, I think right, enabling collaboration and communication between teams is one of the hardest challenges, right? So. Do you have any specific strategy to collaborate with other teams such as marketing, design, or engineering to develop some products or features? Do you have any specific methodology that you find it useful? So I think I think workshops are really powerful. I think ideations, bringing people together, and often as a product manager, I argue that you're playing like a host role. You're trying to welcome everyone into the workshop, make everyone feel at home, um, make everyone feel comfortable and you're trying to create this psychological safety because I think if you get people to ideate together generally that's quite a good way of getting onto the same page it's quite a good yeah. way of saying the best idea could come from a marketer in the room it could be an engineer it could be the product manager themselves um, it could be one of your other stakeholders so definitely I always encourage my teams to try and do workshops try and bring people together to ideate because I think mm -hmm. it's so much easier when you've co-created that solution to a problem versus when you're going to a stakeholder and you're going I'm doing this and you're going to have to trust me that it's the right thing obviously that happens sometimes as well so you need to build up those communication lines and those relationships but if you can co-create if you can co-ideate that's the best mm -hmm. thing for me um now, do, this... do you have a specific timeline for that here or like it's randomly happening so for me, it's that classic thing of you're trying to always do discovery whilst also doing yeah. delivery. Obviously, it's never that perfect. It's the, the double diamond. Yeah. It's always intention. So for me, there should be always trying to be an element of it. So I'd always say to my teams, um, yes, right now in this sprint, you're delivering X, but also think about having a bit of discovery on the back burner. Don't, don't do this feast and famine where it's all delivery or all discovery. Try and keep it blended through your week, through your month, through your quarter. And in terms of specific techniques, sometimes when it's a really tricky problem, I would do a design sprint. So I would say design sprints or parts of the methodology. So design sprints, five days. We all know our diaries don't often accommodate five free days. So maybe you do a three, three day sprint or maybe you do just a crazy eight part of a design mm -hmm. sprint. But they're also a really good way of in terms of forcing the timeline where you say, actually, I'm time boxing this week just to do discovery on this problem just to design a new solution yeah yeah that, that, that's a great methodology and then also using pretty similar methodology tactics here and, and it's always mind-blowing to see the ideas that came from our marketing department or customer success department they also have a lot of insights about the product and it's, it's always great to listen to them but let, let's narrow that down a bit uh, to multiple product teams because like I am sure that in a big companies like Sainsbury or even Booking or Holland Denver, these are big companies and they have a lot of product teams and probably they're 
working in an OKR setting, right? Each team has their own objectives, their own key results. So you have to prevent someone to step on others' toe. You have to be in control. Do you have some specific uh, tactics for that as well, especially for multiple product teams? Uh, because I know that, for example, in some of the commerce companies, a product team is responsible for just the homepage. The other one is responsible for just the product detail. The other one is for payment. And those uh, might have some conflicts in between. Uh, do you have something to prevent these sort of stuff? So it's it's fair to say there's no silver bullet. Um, as for, as for yeah. most things, um, there are ways to reduce it. Um, but this, um, I guess this is the constant tension of working in such a scaled retailer. Um, like you said, we, we do have that world where we have separate teams for every part of the journey, every backend system that you could imagine. And so often, if you're trying to do anything of substance, you need three or four teams to line up their roadmap or yeah. five or six squads to, to align on the same problem. The I think, like I said, there's no silver bullet, so these tensions will always happen. I think part of it is accepting those tensions are good. That means mm. everyone's busy. Everyone's trying to do the right thing. To your, I think you mentioned OKRs. Outcomes are a brilliant way of aligning on this. Um, there are many ways to skin that cat. So you'll see some teams go, this will drive the most revenue. Other teams will go, this will drive the most CSAT. This will reduce dropout in our conversion flow. So you then also have to orient around which metric and which outcomes. So again, that's something as a product leadership team. We're trying to say, yeah, these are our strategies. These are the big OKRs or big outcomes that we're trying to solve for. But I think we just have to accept that this happens. And what we do is we try and spend a lot of time with the teams talking about vision, strategy, and making sure you've done your discovery so that you can really explain to these teams, mm -hmm. this is why I need you to align on this thing, or this is why this thing is going to come in and take place on your roadmap or potentially prioritize against your roadmap. And I think you also, the most important thing in this is to have the humility that you might actually be pushed back because their thing is better that they're already working on. Yeah. So, so there's this constant tension and push-pull between aligning roadmaps versus realizing you, you need to wait your turn and take a ticket in the queue. Yeah, yeah. It's always bugging me because it's like we, we create a lot of communication depth in between teams. And, and uh, when things are growing, it's really hard to set the efficiency at a certain level it's always decreasing and you are trying to find some ways, workarounds to put it some specific place. So thank you very much for the answer as well. But let's move with our real job, being a customer. That, like I am working in a B2B settings for a while. Uh, so for B2B, getting customer feedback is really easy. We, we have Slack channels, we have customer feedback portals. They're adding their ideas and some other uh, Clients might see that, upload them, we can prioritize accordingly. It's an easy process for us. But when I think about Sainsbury's, it should be a nightmare because like they're offline stores and, and people are experiencing Sainsbury's in pretty much every channel, right? Offline channel, online channel, their mobile apps, the social media, etc. It should be really hard for you to collect customer feedback. So what role does customer feedback play in shaping your product roadmap? Uh, and, and how do you manage that? How do you collect customer feedback? Do you have any uh, strategy to uh, scale that? 
So it's a huge role. I think yeah. I think I'd be a very bad product leader to say say otherwise. We have to to your point. We have a lot, so it can. I guess you have to try and remember to keep engaging with it because it's always there. There is so much of it, whether it be, like you said, we've got many apps, we've got many different websites, we've got many stores. How do you get that aggregate view can be quite difficult. We do have product teams who solve these problems. So we have back-end colleague tooling teams who are looking at how do we get all the insights into one place? How do we get it so it's more consumable? So we have lots of things like that. I think... The thing that the thing that I really encourage and that I think is really important, either from a digital or an online, offline point of view, is trying to observe customers in their natural habitat as much as possible. We do a lot of research and there's a really good book called The Mum Test, which is a really good insight into research, but how it can yeah. be quite flawed and biased when you're paying someone to come and look at a prototype or you're paying someone to come into a lab, you've already changed how they operate. What I love is with our stores is you can literally go down to a store and you can just watch how a customer interacts with your products. You can watch what problems they have. Likewise, I quite like the concept of a customer safari, which I don't know if you've heard of this. I haven't heard, but but it sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So customer safari, really encourage you to look it up and uh, get teams to have a look, which is you try and observe a customer online in their own habits. So Reddit is brilliant for this. If you've got a problem like payments is my area. Mm -hmm. I can go into payment forums on Reddit and just read what customers are saying to each other. They upvote the things that are most important to them. So naturally, the the most important topics come to the fore. And as a product manager, you can just sit there reading through. Um, I did this with one of my old teams when we were trying to understand menopause. We were building a menopause product. Lots of the team, like myself, um, hadn't had much interaction with menopause. Just spending a few hours in Reddit, you get got so much customer empathy. Yeah. You really learn what were the key problems to a menopausal customer or person. But yeah, I, I really advocate trying to find a customer in their natural environment. You can do it digitally. You can do it offline. Asking them direct questions is great feedback. Getting feedback through your website is great feedback and looking at analytics. But try and see what they actually think when they don't realize that you're getting an opinion from them. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty similar that like in B2B settings, we have tools like uh, Full Story or Hotspot. In Full Story, basically, Postdoc is any another tool. You can watch whole session. You can watch the, the mouse. You can see what's going on. But the customer safari is uh, pretty fascinating because in that scenario, basically, you can even see their ideas. So what they are telling about the issue and you know yeah it's a great concept and and i think it's really easy for you to do some dog fooling right you can do shopping on things very easy and, and yeah you can directly face with the potential problems and potential settings for the end user yeah we have exactly some pro- that. programs in the company itself so for example like everyone should do shopping in sainsbury's and mm, right yeah, we um, we I think I think one of the brilliant things about working at Sainsbury's is um, people are very passionate and loyal to the brand. So yeah. it's we have Slack channels where people are constantly posting. This happened That's on great. my shop. What what about this? But no, we're constantly using it. Constantly advocates. We we also do at peak times lots of store working. So we will work days yeah. in store over Christmas. We will work days in store over Easter and Black Friday. And again 
gives you loads of empathy for your colleagues, gives you loads of empathy for customers. Yeah. You start to really understand the real customer problems rather than sitting separate in a head office or in a working from home office where you make up what you think customers want, but you don't actually know. Um, so yeah, lots of programs that keep us close to customers. That's great. That's great. I think like after a couple of years, when we turn back to uh, previous, we will see the COVID time is a revolutionary time, of course, unfortunate time for the world, but also revolutionary time for the e-commerce as well. And everything has changed. I mean, there, there are a lot of innovations, there are a lot of new habits of uh, end users, and it's always evolving. In this type of industry, uh, you have tons of customer feedbacks. You have to innovate to keep up with your competitors. And in the meantime, you have to provide a stable, reliable service for your clients, because especially in your scenario field, you're responsible for the payment. You have to be reliable, right? So how do you prioritize innovation versus these reliability issues? Do you have any prioritization uh, framework? I think, again, I'd say it's the best strategies have a blend. So the best strategies, you don't want to over-index on either. So you do want mm -hmm. to try and balance strategy or like innovation sure. strategies and stability, it massively depends on the product. So if you've inherited, we, as you can imagine, being retailers over 150 years old, we have, we don't have systems that old, but we do have systems that are significantly old. So in those yeah. systems, your the balance of your roadmap may be more stability than innovation. Mm -hmm. So I think sure. with most things, it's a balance. I think the key that I think is really important is even when you're working on stability, you can do it in an innovative way. Your ways of working can still be quite fresh. They can be innovative. The way you run standups, the way you work with your stakeholders. That's a great point. And so some of it's just creating that culture of innovation. Even the way you take meeting notes might be innovative. We've been trying yeah. some things um, even today around uh, using Microsoft add-ins. It doesn't have to be all our features are innovation. Some of those innovative features, as I'm sure Acre is, they're the ones that don't really resonate or don't really land. I know we tried, we tried AR on our app at New Look, for example. <laughs> customers really just wanted filters to work better than they wanted AR yeah. at that point. AR would yeah. have its time, but it wasn't at that moment, for example. So yeah. it's just trying to get that balance and trying to put innovation into how you work, not just features. Yeah. Sometimes I, I'm using a bucket strategy. Like I'm saying like the 20% of what we are doing should be, let's call weighted. And like 30 or 40% of it should be related to quality or customer experience etc so i have these sort of buckets but yeah it depends on the product it even depends on the culture itself the company culture uh, and which vertical you are in actually yeah that's great yeah, so when when i was at booking.com we did it was one day a sprint one day a sprint was just pure innovation time and and lo cool. lots of our best ideas came out of that innovation time actually yeah um because the stuff yeah. that was in Sprint wasn't that innovative. You've thrashed it to the ground by the time you've written it into a story. Um, yeah. versus, it's sort of um, hack day. Yeah, almost having a hack day every Sprint, for example. Yeah, that's great. That's a great strategy. I think uh, most of us uh, can use that pretty easily. So when we talk about innovation, of course, it comes down to generative AI, ChatGPT. Right now, when I open the product hunt, I see that four out of five products are related to AI or ChatGPT or generative AI. And in this sort of world, it's really hard to see the future of e-commerce. Uh, 
what do you envision for the future of e-commerce and the role of product management? Do you think that ChatGPT will replace product managers or what's your take on that? Wow. It's very, very on topic, very on trend. Yeah. <laughs> Similar to you, I can't open like LinkedIn or any places without seeing it. I think, I think it will... Con- I think it will be used in collaboration to enhance product management. So I think, I don't think it will replace product management, which is what some people have been saying. But I think a bit like Jira or Miro or Confluence or any of the tools that we use, um, or albeit or PowerPoint, any of those tools that we use in our day to day, I think ChatGPT could potentially become a an, an arm within that, or AI could become an arm within that. For example writing out a really good PRD, writing a really good story and turning a story into a really good format. Some of those are quite repeatable. They have set inputs, set outputs. So I think it could make our lives easier there. So maybe more like the product owner space. Um, I can't see it replacing the human element of um, product management where it comes to strategy. I think so. I think we'll see better product managers. I think, but we could be wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I have, <laughs> even in the old days, someone told me, product manager, can't you just put all the effort of every feature and put all the value and then sort by on a spreadsheet? <laughs> so so it's not new, this concept of automating product management, but I think it's those water cooler moments. It's those conversations. It's the human side of talking to your stakeholders, storytelling, and visioning, I don't think ChatGPT is going to invent ChatGPT, for example. I think that needs a human mind to think beyond. Um, So that's my view. But for e-commerce, do you expect any anything surprising happening? Like you you said that on New Look, you tried AR, but it was not the right time for sure. And today there's an Apple event. We will see Vision too. And do you think that we will see some exciting stuff on e-commerce vertical? So we, the e-commerce world already uses a lot of this stuff. So recommendations are generally algorithmic, chatbots are algorithmic, like whether they're the fully sapient AI that we've been talking about in the news, less, but e-commerce has been using this sort of automation and algorithms and machine learning for quite a long time now, I'd I'd say. So it's not, I guess it's the fact it's become so vogue and huge and then where some of the deep learning stuff could go is quite game changing, but I don't think it will impact e-commerce more than it already is. I see. I see. But at least in the uh, short term. Yeah. Yeah. In the long term, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but how do you stay up to date with the latest technologies, trends in e-commerce? Do you have any specific sources that you can recommend to us? So I think one of the things I'd recommend is joining. So I joined a product book club, for example, for yeah. quite a while. And um, so it's running that. That was a really good way of uh, meeting people across the world, but who who oriented on a, a single topic. So things like that, I'd say product tanks, groups where you can meet like-minded people, because a lot of where I learn, I've got lots of product management friends, having been in product management mm. for a while, who when something happens, like Apple announced something, I'll get a pinged an article from them on WhatsApp or so I think growing yeah. that community, LinkedIn is a huge source. Um, yeah, Medium sure. is a huge source. Um, everyone's got a Medium blog. No, it's, it's really hard to read Medium. I think Substack replaced Medium in my life. Yeah, Substack. Reddit. Reddit's got a really good product management yeah. forums, which I talked about. Um, I think if if you're passionate about it and keen um, to learn more, there's there's even Netflix documentaries about um, things like I love reading, so I could recommend a whole load of books, which I, I won't go through the list now, but 
all the usual suspects and particularly Marty Kagan. Yeah, yeah. These are really great resources for product management. Maybe I can add something on the e-commerce side. Recently, I came across a Substack called How to E-commerce. It's really nice Substack to give a lot of information about e-commerce vertical and, and how to do things. Maybe we can add this to our list as well. And one final question, Phil. We are about to uh, end this webinar. But do you have any advice for newbie product managers? To, uh, which are looking to enter the e-commerce industry. Do you have any specific recommendation for them? Yeah, my biggest advice would be, I know there's a lot of learning about product 101, what are the terms that we use? I'd say don't focus too much on that versus attitude. Every product leader I know who's um, hiring aspiring product managers, the thing they look for most is attitude and aptitude. Is this person hungry? Do they have desire? Are they motivated? Are they determined? Because they're the things that are going to need to be a good product management. It's not, do they know what MVP means or how to do a roadmap? We can teach that. So yeah, don't don't over-index on the terminology versus the those little things that we look for, like attitude. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And um, that brings us to the end of this insightful conversation with Phil, a true expert in the world of e-commerce and product management. We are delving into the challenges and strategies that shape product management in e-commerce industry, gaining valuable insights along the way. Uh, but before we wrap up, I would like to extend our sincere gratitude to Phil for sharing his wealth of knowledge and experience with us today. Phil, thank you for being such a fantastic guest on our show. And uh, Thank you for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. To our listeners, I hope you found this episode as enlightening and inspiring as I did. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach us. Uh, we love to hear from you, and your feedback helps us to improve, actually. So thank you for joining us today. Until next time, stay inspired, stay curious. So goodbye for now.